The fires of World War II have cooled over the years past. We see only the stoic images of the individuals who put their lives in the line for their nation in a time of great distress. Today, these former World War II soldiers appear to us as greater-than-life defenders of freedom, weathered by time, yet still heroic. But they remember a time all those years ago when their character was tested by the fire, shaped by the forge of their time. From quiet, ordinary lives in rural Ohio, those who served, many of them barely more than children, were thrust into something greater than most of them had known. Overseas or at home, they fought for and defended the freedoms we know today. Their stories are the embers they pass to us, and they hope that future generations keep those sparks alive, that their stories are not forgotten. I am your host, Courier Reporter Sarah Arthurs. Join me in this recounting of an ember from the past, from one of those, the generation forged by war. Today, we hear from Ken Lentz. A Christmas Day baby, he will be celebrating his 95th birthday, come December 25th, 2019. In his early years, he lived on a farm outside of Macomb. My mother's mother and father lived in Lima, so we would get over there, oh, at least once a month, and that was the farthest that I got away from. Lentz graduated from high school on June 7th, 1943, a day shy of 18 months after the United States had declared war. So it was just oh, one or two days before that that I received a letter that said that I was going to uh, go to Toledo for a physical, that I was, I, I, I was supposed to go there 11th of June. It was unfortunate timing, however. His father was sick. After attending the graduation, he passed away on the 23rd. So I got a letter that said that I had a month's ex- extension before I went for a physical. It was changed then to... August the 11th. So I took my physical and, and told them I wanted to go in the Air Force. I, I, I wanted to be a pilot because I like to fly. And uh, I knew that it'd be a new experience. And I didn't want to be in the infantry because <laughs> I knew they, they ate out of <laughs> K rations and that sort of thing where we got to eat in the cafeteria. The cafeteria wouldn't come without work, though. They gave us a test, and if you passed the test, you, you could stay stay in, or when you got done with your basic, why well, you could ride on then with the Army Air Corps. And uh, of course, at that time, I wouldn't be either a pilot or co-pilot. Uh, so, I, uh, so I stayed in, and, and so when I got done with my basic, why they said uh, uh, that there wasn't any room for a pilot or a co-pilot. They was filled up. So, so they said, if you want to stay in the in the Army Air Corps, why I had to go to gunnery school. So I went out to Kingman, Arizona. I was there for five weeks. Then they sent me back to uh, Salt Lake City, and from there, why I came down to uh, Alexander, Louisiana. Mr. Lentz ended up in the England Air Force Base in Louisiana, listed as MOS Six Eleven Aerial Gunner. Oh, I was a tail gunner. In the back of a plane, there was nine of us, nine, nine of us on the, on the plane. The four officers, the navigator and the bombardier, they was right right in the front of the plane. Then the pilot and the co-pilot was right behind them. Then our uh, fellow that was supposed to, if we had any trouble with the plane, well, he was supposed to know 
what what to do. And he he was in a he had a turret. He was on right right above the pilot, the co-pilot. But I say turret, where that's a a gun that will move around, go go around hundred. 380 degrees. The England Air Force Base was just another stop. Lentz recalled a town called Stone in Staffordshire, United Kingdom, where he met his crew. And then they put us on this 384th Bomb Group. Now, that, that was where they took us from and put us together because there was three different, uh, there was 384th and the 379th. And I don't know what the other one was. There was three of us that we, we was in. Each one of our group was was in charge of, of sending 12 planes up for a mission. The 384th was stationed approximately 90 miles southeast in Grafton Underwood, Air Station 106. From there, then-Corporal Kenneth M. Lentz participated in 18 missions. Well, my first mission was, we called it a sortie. It was, this was right after D-Day, and my first mission was on the July the 18th of '44. And uh, and we we dropped our bombs at 300 feet. Our, our troops were supposed to back up, and then we dropped the bombs, and then the, 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 then they they moved in. But but we dropped them at 300, so we didn't have to go on oxygen. We had to go on oxygen when we went above 10,000 feet. And so the, my first three missions then was right there. Yeah. And and I, I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a snap. Get my 25 missions in and come home. But then my first, after my first three were then, then they got a little rougher. We started going in farther, having escort. When we started going in a little farther in, in the Germany, then the escort would stay with us, but they would run out of gas. So they'd have to turn around and go back. And whenever they turned around, in came the enemy fighters. That's where we, we lost we lost a lot of planes. When our escort left, why Ed would come with the planes and start shooting us down. His 18th and final mission took place September 25th, 1944. It was mission number 647 of the 8th Air Force. Of the 53 planes that took part in the mission, one failed to return. Our target was Frankfurt, Germany. We was up five miles in the air when we... We got hit with flak. The Germans would 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 had had this flak on the box cars. They had moved moving all over Germany, wherever they, they knew where we was, and and we got hit right in the bomb bays. So our our bomb blew our plane up. So wonder any of us got out, but there was four of us that got out. Once in the back of the plane was prisoners of war, and everybody in the front of the plane was killed. Because when we got got hit, why our plane was broke up in in three sections. That's when my right leg was all tore up from the uh, jagged edge of the when I was blown out of out of the. Because I had my parachute on, so we we was we was five miles in the air, and uh, when I came down, why that's when I tell about this her angel. Followed me all the way down. When I landed, then my, my parachute caught at a corner of a building, and I hung there, because the Germans said if I would have landed on that leg, it would have broken in three, four different places. 
I knew that I had got hurt, hurt pretty bad. So I passed out, and I had an infection then. So the Germans was going to cut my leg off. Did a lot of praying about it. So when the doctors, three doctors came in, and they had their scalpels, they was going to cut my leg off. And, and when they checked me over, they said, oh, I think, I think we can save your leg. So I was, I was glad to hear that. The Germans had been treating him with penicillin, which at that time was very new. No, yeah, you know, it wasn't even known. It didn't go in the market until 48. I think it's the only reason I can walk today. I was, I was in the hospital there at Frankfurt and uh, came uh, December the 9th. They came in and Germans came in and said they was going to send me to a, another hospital. It was run by the American and English. So, so they sent me down there, which was, it was, it was in Nuremberg. Cause I, I, I remember I got there one day and they sewed my leg up the next day, the, the, the next day. And then the following day was when they made me a prisoner of war. In a bed not his own, in a country not his own, captive to the enemy, now Sergeant Kenneth M. Lentz turned 20 on Christmas Day, 1944. Yeah, there was about, Oh, I'd say 10, 12. It was all German, came into our hospital, and they sang uh, Christmas carols to us. Oh, the, they probably sang seven or eight Christmas carols to us, all in English. I just laid there and took, every, took it all in, you know. By January, his leg had healed enough he could walk with a cane. He was moved to another hospital in Nuremberg. I was only there for, oh, two or three weeks. Americans was bombing in the daytime, and the, and the English was bombing the place at night. So that made the Germans mad. They said they was going to take us out and shoot us. And uh, there was, well, there was about 3,000 of us that they loaded on boxcars. We didn't know. They said they was going to send us to Siberia. Well, we knew if we <laughs> went to Siberia, we was goners. But they didn't. They changed their mind they, and, uh, and took us down to uh, uh, 12 miles from Munich. And that's where there was 15,000 of us in that stalag. We didn't get much to eat. Didn't, didn't have to do any work. But our ration was a bowl of soup and a slice of bread. We'd get that about 11 o'clock. That was... That was, that was that kept us going. I just kept telling myself, well, someday you'll be home, get married, have a family. April of 1945 saw the Battle of Nuremberg. From April 16th through the 20th, American forces fought for control of the city before making their way south. Nine days later, they reached Munich. They liberated us. Because the, the, the guards did come in and t told us that, that the next day that they wouldn't be there anymore. And uh, they just said, six o'clock in the morning, or you guys will be free. Said them, turn, to turn everything over to the Americans. So that's what they did. And, uh, and within three weeks, they had moved all 15,000 of us out of there 
and moved us. We, we went into an airport. Uh, those trucks held 32 people, and, and uh, just as fast as one truck would take 32 and fellas would take off, why there would be another, another to come in. They did that uh, during daylight. And uh, three weeks, three weeks, they got all 15,000 of us. Throughout most of it, his family back home knew nothing of what was taking place. They didn't even know if he was still alive. I was just missing in action. For six months, they knew in Washington, D.C. that where we was hit and that sort of thing, but that's all they knew. No, they gave everything away at Christmas time because that was three months after I'd run down. My oldest brother says, oh, doesn't look like Kenny's coming home. Told my mom to give my clothes away. It wasn't until February, two months before his eventual liberation, that his loved ones received mail from him. My uh, lady friend was, lived in Lima, and, uh, and she got hers, her card. And so then she got a hold of my mom right away. But two days later then, when well, my mother got a telegram that's a card, and then, then a telegram by the next day that said that I was a prisoner of war, but nobody knew where. That was, that was all they knew until I walked in the front door. It was in June of 1945, two years after he was selected for service, that Mr. Lentz returned home. His POW life was over. A new life with his lady friend was quick to follow. Mr. Lentz went to Lima, where his lady friend worked, and was introduced to her boss. He asked my lady friend, he says, well, how would you like to have a couple of days off? She says, oh, I'd love that. He says, with pay. <laughs> so, boy, we took off. Of course, her mother must have saw us coming or something, rather, because she was on the front porch, came out on the front porch. I gave her a big hug and kiss. And my girlfriend says, Kenny, that's, that's more than I got for a long time. But then... First thing I knew, where they was making all arrangements for the for a wedding, got married uh, August the fourth of nineteen forty-five. Kai says she's still been living. We'd be celebrating our seventy-fourth. The couple had children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. After he returned home, Mr. Lentz worked at a machine shop at Garwood Industries for twenty years before it closed and he moved to Whirlpool for another 17. At 94, now retired Staff Sergeant Kenneth M. Lentz now lives at Primrose. He wakes up in his villa in the morning with a cup of coffee along with breakfast. He spends his spare time doing what he loves, reading and watching television. Oh, uh, I love love stories. But those are not the only stories he cares about. The stories of his generation, of the Second World War, are ones that need to be passed down. Lentz was one of 16 million Americans to answer his nation's call, one of over 120,000 who became a POW. It won't be too long, though. There won't be any, any left. Because I'm the only one right now in Hancock County that's still living. I think the young people should know about it because sooner or later it's all going to be extinct. Information on the 384th 
came in part from the website 384thbombgroup.com. Thanks also to Ron Ammons and Deb Wickerham, who are instrumental in connecting us with veterans. Sponsors for A Generation Forged by War, World War II Veterans Look Back, are Great Clips, Lone Depot, Great Scott, and the University of Finley. Join us next week for the second episode in this seven-part series to hear veteran Tom Daly tell his story. Check out more of the project in a print copy of The Courier and more online at thecourier.com. Look for the banner.